Well, thank you to the music team. It was so nice to uh, be able to have congregational singing together. Well, good afternoon. I hope you've had a good week. Um, Jin Hopwell off to New South Wales on Monday, and I and the boys uh, navigated this week together. Um, over the past week, we had a lot of one-off occurrences, and I'm just going to list the one-off occurrences to you. Over the last week, we bought takeaway once. And as someone who, thank you, thank you. <laughs> as someone who eats out every chance he gets, that, that felt like a win. Um, I took the boys late to school once. So they made it four out of five days. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> you know, there's something about sleeping at home without mommy. And, you know, the boys, they didn't sleep well. And there are times where I'm just kind of like, oh, I want to make sure and be alert in case something does happen. And just there were several nights where we didn't sleep well. And Thursday morning came around, I woke up, and the boys were just KO'd. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to take the L out of you. I don't care. We're going late to school. I got upset with the boys once this week. And this is, thank you. <laughs> you know, the boys are actually really, really well behaved. And I, I think there was this um, mutual understanding of mommy's not around, and let's just make life good for all of us. And uh, the boys are really, really well behaved. So thank you, Micah and Joshua. They, they actually deserve the round of applause. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I remember it was a Thursday night, and I just had this headache, and I was in a meeting. It's like 9.30 p.m., and I could hear them, I could hear them awake upstairs. And I had to excuse myself from the meeting. I walk into the room and Micah's standing on top of his bed and it was like a deer caught in the headlights and I was like, go to bed! And quickly realized that was going to do nothing and so I gave him melatonin and then they fell asleep. <laughs> Finally, I, got lo I locked myself out of the house with the boys once this week. <laughs> thank you. So thank you to uh, Sam and Eleanor who had our backup keys and who helped us out and uh, it was a quick Uber ride and it, everything turned out okay. <laughs> So Jinha is flying back tomorrow, and so we have 25 hours left, not that anybody's counting, uh, and then she comes back to Melbourne, and we're all going to be really, really happy. Well, it's good to see you all, so welcome those of you who are joining us online. I hope everyone is doing well. So there was an interesting Twitter thread this past week, and uh, I don't know if any of you saw this, but basically Doge Designer wrote, uh, well, he quoted Elon saying, I go to sleep, I wake up, I work, uh, go to sleep, wake up, and basically he does that seven days a week. And he says, please take care of yourself, Elon. And Elon responds, and he says, I'm worried about you too. And guess who jumps in on the conversation? The Seventh-day Adventist Church Twitter handle. <laughs> guess what they're going to say? I'll give you two seconds to think about it. It's a rhetorical question. But yes, they talk about the Sabbath. Hey, Elon, let me read it for you. Uh we would love to tell you more about the Sabbath. Elon, it will change your life, and it's very likely that you'll get even more done. And then a few other people jump in on the conversation. Now, um, it's interesting that Elon, who owns a significant amount of Dogecoin, is kind of talking to the graphics designer of one of the graphics designers of Dogecoin, and they're kind of having this conversation. And, you know, Elon doesn't quite ever respond to the Adventist Twitter handle. Um, and he sort of just continues on in his conversation with other Twitter users. But however you look at this attempt, whether it's positive or negative, um, what I want to highlight is the approach that the Adventist Church Twitter, hand, Twitter handle uses. 
Adventism takes one aspect of our church's doctrine, which happens to be the Sabbath, and they, see, they, they try to make it relevant to Elon's life. And they kind of package the message by saying, you might be more productive if you just rest one day a week. Now, this is an example of contextualizing theology, contextualizing theology. And basically, contextualizing acknowledges that different people from different cultures have different needs and values. And so you can take one message and emphasize a specific part of that message, depending on who's listening. So at another time, when the church would talk about the Sabbath, it might encourage people to keep the Sabbath because it's an act of holiness. God calls us to be set aside, and because God calls us to holiness, we should then follow suit. And that's the motivation, is seeking after holiness. In another time, the church might uh, just say, remember the Sabbath because God commands us, and there's an importance of acknowledging and trusting God as a means of providing for us, as opposed to coming up with our own means of productivity. So whoever manages the church's Twitter handle, they wisely opted out of those two and opted for productivity because they're trying to speak Elon's language. So in the process of contextualizing, it really it's supposed to challenge the seeker to examine truth. We're supposed to assess our circumstance and then develop an authentic faith. Now, one might think, shouldn't truth just be universal? In other words, it's applicable to all peoples in all times. Doesn't God have consistent messages? And what I want to do with you today is to look at example, look at an example where God contextualizes himself to different generations of his people, and then I'm going to share with you why this is important. Before we open up scripture, I'm just going to invite you to join me for one more word of prayer as we um, study together. Father God, I just want to thank you for this time that we have to read your word, to think about the gospel and how it's meaningful to us and to those around us and how that differs from other generations. And Father, we just want to invite your spirit to um, be present here with us to speak to us. We pray in your name. Amen. So what I want to share with you is God contextualizing from Abraham to Israel. And we're just going to take a peek at a meeting that takes place between God and Moses. And in this conversation, God briefs Moses on the missional objectives of the Exodus. And in this meeting, we see God contextualizing himself. So here's Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 to 7. And I'm just going to go through this passage uh, bit by bit. So here's verses 2 and 3. It says, And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, Lord, or but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. Notice here that God tells Abraham, or God tells Moses, I introduce myself differently to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I introduced myself to them through the name El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. But when God interacts with Moses and the Israelites, his name changes. He doesn't introduce himself as El Shaddai. He introduces himself as Yahweh, or I guess the Latinized version of that is Jehovah. And that simply means the self-existing one. Now, it's interesting here that God reveals himself from generation to generation in a different way. 
They had different circumstances. They were in a different time period. And hence, God brings about a new revelation of himself. So let's keep reading. Verse 4. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, in which they were strangers. Now this passage, or the next passage, is very interesting to me because the mission that is given to Israel at the time of the Exodus, it's the same mission that was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Same mission. But the message changes. Reading verses 5 and 6. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. So when Moses introduces Israel to God, he doesn't use the name El Shaddai or God Almighty. Instead, he's supposed, he's supposed to introduce Israel to the Lord, or excuse me, he's supposed to introduce Israel to the Lord Yahweh, the existing one, the one that was, who is, and who will be. And this is very, very intentional. If you look at verse 7, I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So God's objective is for everyone to know he simply has always been and always will be. When you read through the first few chapters of Exodus, you'll see Moses telling Pharaoh to let his people go and to worship God. And Pharaoh's question is, who is your God? Who is this God? And the question posed to Moses requires a response or an apologetic. And God's response is, whether you believe in me or not, I am. And at the end of our interaction, you will know me. And so for the remainder of the exodus out of Egypt, Israel follows God's word. And as a result, the Israelites, the Egyptian, Moses, and Pharaoh, they all come to know of the existing one, Jehovah the Lord. So the message of God changes several times throughout Scripture and we see God contextualizing himself over and over again. And as you see these shifts happen where God reveals something new about himself, you see major shifts in religion. From Israel worshiping in a temple and a sanctuary to Israel becoming a church to where we are today. And hence you have Judaism, you have Messianic Jews, and you have Christians. It's a result of God shifting the message even if the mission is the same. So the constant change of culture and time requires us as believers to then investigate our hearts, investigate our norms, and our culture. Otherwise, how do we encounter God personally? How can we experience hope and healing and then bring the same hope and healing to those that are around us? And so for the next couple of sermons um, in this series, I want to explore the gospel with you. I want to talk about contextualizing the gospel for us as people who live in Melbourne in 2023. First, as individuals, then as a community of faith, and finally, how do we then bring encouragement and hope to the community around us? I've been reading through a book called The 3D Gospel, Ministry of Guilt, Shame, and Fear Cultures. And the premise of this book states that the gospel 
the message that Jesus died and rose again for the sake of humanity, it effectively provides a solution to three main moral emotions, which have become the foundation of three types of culture. Here they are. The first one is guilt-innocence cultures. These are individualistic societies where people break the laws, are guilty, and seek justice or forgiveness to rectify wrong. Now, prayer in this context might sound like, God, forgive me for my sin, restore my heart, and bring peace to my life. Here's a second culture, shame-honor culture. It describes collectivistic cultures where people shamed for not fulfilling group expectations seek to restore their honor before the community. My dad used to regularly pray this for me um, for like, maybe four or five years, and every now and then he'll still pray this prayer. But he'll say something like, God, pour a double portion of the spirit that you gave to Elijah and Elisha on my son. Make my son an excellent pastor. May his influence and ministry spread far and wide. And, you know, the first time I was like, okay, that was nice. And then I started thinking about it. It's like, okay, so Elisha got a double portion of Elijah's spirit, and my dad is asking for me to get four times the amount of Holy Spirit as Elijah. And to put that into context, Elijah went like straight to heaven. <laughs> and so he would pray this. And after about one year, I was just kind of like, <laughs> is it, what does this even look like if this prayer gets answered? <laughs> there was a strong emphasis of reputation and communal acceptance. Here's a third culture, fear, power cultures. And these are animistic contexts where People afraid of evil and harm pursue power over the spirit world. And prayer in this context might sound like, God, protect us from evil. Give us deliverance over the powers of darkness. Now, in the book, the author states that these three different cultures are influenced by these three moral emotions, uh, which highlight different facets of the gospel. And I think every culture has its own version of fear, guilt, and shame. These three emotions are important in every culture, but the priority and how uh, these emotions play out is different in each culture. I'm saying this to acknowledge that the compartmentalization of, um, of these emotions to specific cultures creates challenges. And I also think there are other very important reactions to the gospel, such as disappointments, um, physical pain, uncertainty, suffering, and the gospel ministers to each of these negative emotions, which are really, really important. So I just, I recognize that this is a simplistic approach to the multifaceted gospel, but I just want to use this as a springboard for discussion. In Ephesus, Paul highlights each of these three aspects of the gospel. Paul approaches guilt in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2. So in Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, but God who is rich in mercy, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. Now for more content dealing with guilt and condemnation, you can go to our church website, which is melbournecityadventist.org. Um, Jin Ha preached a sermon a few weeks ago entitled No Condemnation. You can also scan the QR code. Uh, I recognize that this is probably creating competition with this sermon that I'm preaching right now, but it's a good sermon. So if you're bored of this sermon, you can pull out your phone and you can scan the QR code. Otherwise, you can just go to the YouTube channel or the church website and find this later on.
<laughs> okay. Now, back to Ephesians. Paul ministers to guilt. He also addresses shame. In Ephesians 1.5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Ephesians 2.12-13 and 19, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were, one, uh, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The gospel promises inclusion to the family of God, and there's also this promise of restoration. I remember when my dad was raising my brother and I um, on his own as a single dad, there was this sense of pity from the community because my mother had passed away. Both my brother and I, we were not interested in the church. Thanks, Micah. Both my brother and I were not interested in the church, and there was a sense of communal shame for my dad. And today, my brother attends church with his sons, uh, and I pastor church, and my dad regularly tells me, I feel blessed because of my family. There's this sense of restoration uh, and inclusion. Then afterwards, he tells me, please go to medical school and become a doctor. Finally, Paul addresses fear. In Ephesians 1, 16 and 19, Paul writes, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that you may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. In Ephesians 6, Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The gospel is multifaceted, and God wants us to experience holistic salvation. So today's sermon is just an introduction to this idea. And if we learn to understand ourselves and our culture and what makes us tick, we can then bring that awareness before God and allow him to minister to us. So there are two challenges I want to highlight that come with one dimensional with a one dimensional gospel. The first challenge is the challenge of the one dimensional gospel is it hinders our spirituality. It's easy to be left with this belief that what God offers is not relevant to what we are going through and that is simply just not true. The Bible is filled with present truth. The second challenge, a one dimensional gospel also unintentionally puts God in a box, only allowing him to provide help in one area of life. But the more we search, the more we pray, the more we'll see the vastness of God. So if in our search for God, the question arises, is there more God? The answer is always yes. I want to invite you uh, to scan this QR code. There's something called the culture tests. And we'll, we'll just spend a few minutes here. If you scan the QR code, there'll be a 25-question survey, and it's going to ask you questions about yourself, and it'll give you results in terms of how the gospel how you prioritize the gospel, whether it's fear, shame, or guilt. And so we'll just take a few minutes. Feel free to fill that survey out. There is a method to the madness in that during the time of discussion, we'll be discussing our results. So they will also email the results to you directly.
And if you look up after you're done, I'll know that you're finished with the survey. Those of you who are joining, joining us online can also scan the QR code. Um, I found it interesting to go through the survey and see um, what my results were. Well, they're taking this very seriously. I mean, when I was doing the survey, I was like, yep, 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 yep. I was like, oh, yeah, that is me. <laughs> that during the discussion time that the results from the survey help guide the discussion. Okay, in closing, I wanted to share a podcast with you. It's called This Cultural Moment. And there's no rush. Um, if you're still doing the, if you're still working for the survey, don't worry about it. There's a podcast uh, by the name of This Cultural Moment. It's uh, hosted by uh, John Mark Cormer and Mark Sayers. And these two pastors are based in complete different parts of the world. One pastor is based in uh, Portland, Oregon, uh, which is a very secular part of the U.S. And the other pastor is based right here in Melbourne. Um, and he pastors a church called Red Church. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, Red Church actually rents out of Nunawading uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church. And so that's kind of a unique thing. But um, basically what these two individuals have realized is that we're living in a post-Christian society. So then how do we then assess this culture and bring the gospel, uh, one for ourselves and then to the community? And so um, I've got a QR code if you're interested. It'll take you straight to a YouTube channel. Um, if you're more into podcasts, then you can type in this cultural moment. Um, this particular episode is taken from uh, season one. It's a three-part series, and it's the third episode um, where um, John Mark Cormer and Mark Sayers discuss the idea of relevance versus resilience. Um, how should the people of Jesus remain faithful to the way of Jesus in a changing world? Um, I really enjoyed the podcast, and so I just wanted to share it with you all. So... Um, in this sermon series, we're going to be constantly exploring the gospel and really just asking that question, how does the gospel relate to me where I am today? And so as you consider this, I hope that it deepens your own experience with God um, and that you're able to then assess those around you and ask yourself the question, how can I then present the gospel to those around me here in Melbourne? Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we know that you desire to do a new thing here in Melbourne and in our lives and Father, we just want to give you that space and that time. And as we search your word, as we search our own hearts, we just pray that you would speak to us, that you would help us to be able to connect with you and to um, see you in a new light. And may it bring refreshment, rest, healing, and a revival in our hearts. We pray these things in your name. Amen.